0: Passage of Scripture tonight, if you don't um, have it, get on your phones, open it up, uh, you can open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verses 17 through uh, chapter 4, verse 1, um, the website, same every week, uh, we just keep updating it with new stuff, um, it's thehouseutc.org slash worship, that just saves us from having to have slides run and somebody on the projector and those, or whatever the thing is, you know. Um We've been preaching out of the same passage of Scripture for a few weeks, um, and tonight we're landing on um, our third section. Um, there will be a lot of people on Judgment Day who will have to answer for how they've used and taught the Scripture um, that we're looking at tonight. Um, and they've used it to justify hell on earth in the name of Jesus. This scripture has been handled wrongly and it's cost millions of people of their lives and the ripple effects have come down through the ages. Uh, it's still impacting our politics and our neighborhood divisions and our prison systems and generational wealth and where we shop and what we eat and who we spend our time with. Um, this passage is one of a select few that were on the tip of the tongue of slave owners in our country. Used to justify the ownership, abuse, dehumanization, torture, and murder of other human beings made in the image of God. Witnessing this, a fellow Christian couldn't believe what he was seeing and how slavery in America could be reconciled with Christianity. And I want you to listen to what he says. I have two kind of longer quotes tonight, um, and I, I put them both on that Web page so that you could read them if you would like to read along with me. Here's what he says. It's from Frederick Douglass. Between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. So wide that to receive the one as good, pure, and holy is out of necessity to reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked. To be the friend of the one is of necessity to be the enemy of the other. I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. And yet, verses like this one that we're looking at tonight were used by Christians to justify things like Christianity are things like slavery? And to see, just as an example, to see the depths that we'll go to to twist the Scriptures to our own ends, if you ever visit the Bible Museum in our nation's capital, be sure to see the Slave Bible. Um, Some of our countrymen cut out 90% of the Old Testament and 50% of the New Testament and gave an edited version to slaves to read to educate them on Christianity. It contains stories of Joseph's enslavement in Egypt, but not Moses freeing the slaves. You won't find, for example, Exodus 21, 16, which says, whoever steals a person and sells them and anyone found in possession of them shall be put to death. But you will find passages like the one we're reading tonight. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that Satan used scripture to tempt Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, you can check it out right at the beginning. The very words of God became antichrist in his mouth. Scripture can be used that way, friends. It should be a warning and a lesson to us how we wield these things. I said a few weeks ago, you ought, we ought to know what it's saying before we know what it's saying to us. Nowhere has the misuse of Scripture been more obvious in our history in America than the way Scripture was used in the mouths of Christians to enslave their neighbors. Against the word of God. Tonight, I'm gonna try to handle this word rightly. God tells us that anyone who's a pastor should handle the word rightly, implying that you can handle it poorly or wrongly. And James, the brother of Jesus, warns that not many of us should teach because we're gonna be judged with greater strictness. I wanna handle this well. Uh, The problem is that it's been handled so poorly that it's a challenge to get it right without glossing over its abuses. I I want to set it upright. But in order to do that, I've got to at least acknowledge how it's been inside out and upside down to the horror of God, to the horror of his people. And setting it upright is is a big task in light of that. If anything, our passage of Scripture, handled rightly, abolishes slavery. Um, but this passage actually isn't explicitly about slavery. That's what makes this so peculiar tonight. It's actually not about any particular social institution at all. Remember, like when it was used to justify slavery, some Christians took 90% of the Old Testament and 50% of the New out to make an edited version work. This passage is not explicitly about slavery, or a social institution. It's actually about how the whole world is a temple to the living God and that it's possible for you and me to worship him and serve him in any and every circumstance. That's actually what this passage about. And I'm asking tonight for your grace and mercy in treading through this together, okay? I know the weight of this passage, has been how it's been used, and, and, and I know that I'm gonna be judged more strictly, okay? Um, and so I just, will you please pray with me? Uh, and then we'll get into it, okay? Father, um, would you send your spirit now that the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of each one of our hearts would be holy and pleasing to you. Would you set things right? Would you, as you stand over all history in the end and every single one of us on down through the ages, has to stand before you in judgment? Will you then make all things right? showing that nothing has happened without you seeing and you promise to bring the new heavens and the new earth to come to bear and you promise that no sins will go unpunished, which I know freaks us out if we do not know ourselves in your son. But when we see injustice and evil in this world, we need to know that you see it. We need to know that you judge it. Tonight I ask for the inspiration of your spirit, please. Help us to connect with what you have been giving to us in your word. Help us to honor this text tonight and the intentions of our brother, the Apostle Paul, and why you've preserved these words for your church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So friends, this semester we've been going through Paul's letter to the Colossians, uh, to this this church called Colossae, and in light of all that Christ has done, The the Colossians, and and by extension us, I'm making an argument that we can receive these things too. You can go back and listen to previous sermons on our podcast if you wanna catch up on that that stuff. But in light of all that Christ has done, we're invited to fix our eyes on things above and not on things of this earth. We who were dead in our trespasses, God made alive together with him, having, uh, with Jesus, having forgiven us by canceling the record of debt that has stood against us. Paul says that Christ nailed our record of sin to the cross. He disarmed the things in the world and how, what it would look like for us if we just believed this and acted like it were true. Listen to this. He disarmed the things in this world which keep us captive and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. And so, and everything's built. These are not isolated little maxims or little statements. This is an argument that's predicated on the things that come before. I'm using big words. Sorry, you guys are in college. We're going we're gonna to do that, okay? Um, the, that, that there's an argument Paul's making. If you try to take this without the things which have come before it, it's going to be a false gospel. It's going to be a weird message that you're going to try to work, okay? In light of what Jesus has done. We are freed from our old lives and from the patterns of this world. We are people who are after things in the kingdom of God and not things of this world. We're after love, not money. We're after outdoing others in honor, not garnering fame for ourselves. There's a, this is not in my notes and I should be careful when I start doing this. There's somebody in this room that I love dearly and I saw today their Instagram account. They had twice as many people they were following than who followed them and I thought that's like Christ. We're, we are after outdoing others in honor, right? We're, we're about putting off anger and slander and obscene talk. We don't lie to one another. Rather, being renewed in the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we put on as God's chosen ones, understanding that we're holy and beloved. We put on compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. These things for which our world has no reward to offer. We bear with one another. We forgive one another. We put on love and let the peace of Christ rule and reign in our hearts. We let the word of God dwell richly among us. We are people who do everything in word or deed in the name of Jesus, giving thanks always to God the Father through him. If you've been following along this semester, that's where we've gotten to. This is a soaring image of what our life together in Christ should look like and can look like. And then the scriptures teach us that this new life that we have in Christ together begins to ripple out. It goes out. It doesn't stay put. It doesn't stay hidden. Reverend Lloyd A. Lewis, reflecting on this passage, says the demands of God's rule have the, listen to this, have the potential of infecting and reforming society as the qualities of the kingdom are manifested in the lives of believers. The way that we're called to live is to infect and reform society. All of the places where we live It's supposed to ripple out. As the kingdom of God takes root in our lives, it goes out. It doesn't just stay in our worship services or in our core groups or at retreats or on mission trips or in those quiet places where you're alone with God. The kingdom of God goes out in and through you to the ends of the earth. And Paul says it starts at home. And he starts here because the gospel needs to start here, right? Some of you know this in your own families, but think about this. Like, I'm a preacher. That's like literally my job is to do this right now. It's crazy. I literally get paid to, like, read the Bible and pray. It's kind of a cool gig sometimes, okay? But, like, if my kids see me preaching to you, and they even know that my in my life, Christ has shaped the way I treat my friends and my coworkers. We go to church on Sunday, and they see me hanging out with these people and the way I talk and, and behave and all that kind of stuff. okay. But it doesn't shape the way I treat my wife, their mom. It doesn't shape the way I treat them. They'll see me as a hypocrite, and I'll make it harder for them to believe in who Jesus is and what his kingdom looks like. Doing everything unto the Lord starts where you live in the day-to-day Like your romances and your families and your places of work. Next week, you'll see Paul moves even further out, watching the ripple effects of God's kingdom go out and out and out into the world. That's primarily what our passage is about tonight, about the way the kingdom of God ripples through the social institutions which govern our daily lives. We covered romance two weeks ago, families last week, tonight social institutions, okay? Are you with me? I know this is intense stuff. Are you guys with me? Because something like a third of all of ancient Rome were servants, the master-servant dynamic was a part of the daily life of the Colossians. That's why this passage talks directly about servants and masters. Because it was a common social institution that impacted the daily life of the Colossians. And this passage does it has something to say about the master and servant dynamics of the 1st century Roman world. It really does. It also has something to say about chattel slavery in the United States. But this passage isn't actually about any particular institution. So much as it's about every Christian in any institution in the history of the world. Our eyes are fixed above and we're to be part of things on this earth. we're to be part of things on this earth with our eyes fixed above being transformed and conformed into the likeness of God's kingdom. Here's why I think this is such a needed instruction that Paul gives. Because we are so prone to think that serving God and being part of his kingdom work is about our context. We're prone to thinking that serving God and being a part of his work is about our context. Like, in order for me to really serve God, I need to be either married or single. In order for me to really serve God and have real agency in his kingdom, I need to have a certain amount of money in my bank account. In order for me to really serve God, I need to be in a position of power or on a stage or have accumulated a certain amount of knowledge or whatever. Maybe you think, maybe you think you can't serve God in the way that you want to or the way he's called you to because you're in school right now. Well, this passage teaches that the whole world is a temple to the living God. And everywhere we are at any moment in our lives, we have the opportunity to serve and to worship Him. Everything we do in word and deed can be done unto Christ. Our thought lives the way we spend our money, what we do with our free time, what we order at cookout, the way we talk to our friends and our enemies, who we send messages to late at night and the content of those messages, the very postures of our bodies as we walk through the middle of a college campus, the way we sit in our chairs in our classroom and whether we take notes or not and how we take notes, everything we say or do can be done unto Christ. And this means, friends, that you don't need things to change in order for you to serve God. This means that you're capable of living exactly the way Jesus wants you to live right where you are. It means the resources of his kingdom are available to you in this second, at this moment. And he delights to give you the kingdom. His kingdom is available to you right now and nothing needs to change in order for that to be true. And you see, our world has a very different message We struggle to believe this so much. In our world, we think things, we teach these things, that things need to change in order for you to be valuable. That circumstances need to be different and then you can really count. Paul tells the Colossians that that is fundamentally not true. Our citizenship in heaven, our citizenship is in heaven and we have an advocate on the throne and his kingdom is available to us right where we are, wife or husband, child or parent, servant or master. Maybe you're in an unhealthy relationship and you think you need to get out of that relationship in order for you to please God. The scriptures tell us that you can serve God right now, right where you are. You don't need your circumstances to change in order for you to please God, in order for your agency to be lifted up, in order for you to do something dignified that has eternal consequences. Maybe, maybe your relationship needs to change Maybe you should get out of that relationship. I'm just saying, Paul's just saying, you don't need to wait for that in order for you to serve God. Can you see how dignifying this could have been to a, to a servant or a child or a wife who lacked cultural power in the first century world? If they, if they couldn't have agency and dignity and, and, and live the life God has called them to live unless they got out of a circumstance that they didn't even have power over. In the first century Roman world, for example, a woman's testimony didn't count in a a court of law. Paul here says that her voice counts in the court of heaven. And all the people of the earth who won't listen to her testimony will have to give theirs before the judge who sees all things and knows all things. Maybe the circumstances need to change. Unhealthy relationships and unhealthy institutions ought to change and be shaped more into the likeness of the kingdom of God, but we don't need to wait for that, for our voices to matter, and for our decisions to matter, and for us to know that we can go boldly before the throne of heaven and have an advocate there. I want to bring this stuff home just by pretty quickly going through the verses that are on that on that page or in your scriptures in Colossians chapter 3. I just want to see some specifics from the text. Verses 23 through 25 says this, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers. Servants is a better translation of this. But with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ." For the wrongdoer will be paid back wrong for what he's done. And there's no partiality. Friends, one of the most important things someone said to me in my early 20s is a definition of integrity. This guy said, integrity in engineering or architecture. I mean, I'm assuming he's right. I've never heard anybody challenge this or whatever. But he said, in engineering and architecture, integrity is the, is the ability for a building to withhold its shape under pressure the ability for a building to withhold its shape, its, its structure, its basic form under pressure. And this mentor asked me if I hold my shape under pressure. He said, do you look the same regardless of who you're around? Do you act different when you're alone with a particular person or when you're with a particular group of friends or when you're all by yourself? The Apostle Paul reminds his audience, even when we're trying even when those who are trying to please are not around, the Lord is. In this world, don't we work a little bit harder and act a little bit better when the people we're trying to please are around? The scriptures tell us that the people of the kingdom of God are always doing and seeing everything, saying everything unto the Lord. This instruction in verse 22 and 23 is a challenge for, for each of us to live with more integrity. Not just doing things to please others, but doing things to please the Lord. And, and think about this. How different would the world be if Christians looked the same in public and in private? How different would the world be if you could trust that everybody you saw here that follows Jesus acted the same when you're not around as when you're around? What if you could trust that when I'm alone at my house, I'm the same person that I am on stage? That when I'm with my wife, I'm the same person that when I'm alone or with somebody else? What if we could trust this because we're so prone to pay attention to who's around us and we act accordingly for their pleasure, for our pleasure, really, having them like us? And so maybe it's something as simple as like, You walk by trash every day, but there's somebody you're interested walking behind you now, and so you start picking up trash on the way down the street. It's something that simple. It's on a continuum that ends with affairs and all sorts of other things. What would would life look like if we remembered that that we can always serve Jesus? He's always present. He's always available for us to do everything and say everything unto him. And I submit to you, that anybody in this world, like as a boss of employees, you know how over the moon I would be if everybody is always just working as if Jesus is around? That'd be amazing, you know? Wouldn't that be great if my, if my wife could trust that no matter what happens all the time, I'm always being married to her as if Jesus is present all the time and I'm serving him? What if every professor could trust that you are studying as if Jesus is sitting right next to you every day and you're doing it for him, not for the professor? And I've seen the way that's changed my life as I've begun to follow Jesus. In undergrad where I was looking at grades and trying to figure out what my test score could be to just get it over this and kind of thing. In my master's program, I didn't even look at my grades until six months after I was done with school. Because I was studying for the Lord. God had changed my life at that point. And it just turns out that I get better grades, you know? Because I, st- I work harder, you know? That's, isn't that cra- Wouldn't that be crazy if we did that? I also want you to note the phrase, the inheritance. This is a little, little bit of a, a, a geek out here, okay? It's a stunning phrase. And I just want to just geek out for a second about it, okay? Because in the first century world, slaves had zero inheritance. They had no inheritance, no right to anything. And Paul doesn't just say an inheritance, He says they will receive the inheritance. It's subtle to us. It's stunning in the first century Christian world to hear this for the first time, that the inheritance that God has for his people is equally shared with servants. He continues to drive this point home by saying there's no partiality with God. Just a few verses earlier, he said that in the kingdom of God, there's no Greek, no Jew, Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free. You can read that in, in, in Colossians chapter 3. And in just a few words, Paul cuts across religious, political, ethnic, social, biological, and economic divisions. No, he says, in Christ there is no partiality. Christ is all and he's in all. Those are Paul's words. And that doesn't mean that immediately these realities don't exist in our world. It doesn't mean that just because Paul said that, there literally is no such thing as Scythians, whatever they are anymore, that they just disappear off the face of the earth or that male female just disappear off the face of the earth. No, it doesn't mean that. We know that from observation and from our lived experience, okay? But it means that Christians begin to live differently within those worldly realities. That we actually begin to, because our eyes are fixed in, on the kingdom of God, our eyes are fixed on Jesus things above. We don't live according to the patterns of this world. We're transformed in the renewing of our minds. Fixed on Jesus, I begin to go, what if these distinctions that the world offers that, we, that I'm born into, that I live into, what if these are not the things by which God determines value? What if? And what if we begin to live differently and then those things begin to change from the inside out? Listen now, Reverend Taraki puts this. He says, and this is another quote that I put down in your web page. He says, God is the judge for both the free and the slave. He will not favor one group over the other. He will judge each person by how they have obeyed him and how this has been revealed in their attitudes to and their treatment of others. Christ gives worth and dignity to every human being so that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus." the logical result of adopting such a Christ-like attitude is the abolition of slavery. I would add that the logical result of adopting a Christ-like attitude is the abolition of every unjust institution in the world. If only Christians would live like their Lord. Paul concludes this section by reminding masters that they too are servants. He's been leveling the playing field this entire time. He's been reminding his readers at every turn that their circumstance neither gains them favor in the kingdom of God nor keeps them out of the kingdom of God. Friends, I would ask you if you believe one of those things. If you believe that your circumstance gains you favor in the kingdom of God, your pedigree, your education, your social skills and acumen, your test scores, the amount of money in your savings account, Your dreams and aspirations? Do you think that those things, the circumstances of your life, are gaining you favor? Do you look out at other people and think you're better off because of your circumstances? Or on the flip side, do you think your circumstances mean that you're kept out? That the best you can get are scraps from the table of God because of circumstances, some of which might even be your own doing? Do you think those things keep you out? In Christ Jesus, the answer is definitively no. Wherever they are, whatever circumstance they are in, Christians can do and say everything unto Christ. You do not need to wait for the world to change. No matter how much John Mayer is in my head right now. You do not need to wait for it to change in order for you to serve the Lord this moment and this night. I submit to you again, maybe the circumstances need to change. That's not what this passage is about, though. This is about your agency in the kingdom of God as you walk with Jesus in this world. That tonight when you go home, everything you do and say can be done unto the Lord. Everything. You do not need to wait anymore. Brothers and sisters, the whole world is a temple to the living God. I'll say that again, but Paul concludes this section by reminding masters that they too are servants. He's been leveling it the whole time, like I said, right? I don't want you to see that. We all share a common position and posture in front of our Lord, every single one of us. And it's interesting, that's pretty much the, um, he wraps up this entire section of, of how we are supposed to live in our daily lives. Next week, it kind of ripples out a little farther. You'll hear that. He wraps up this whole thing by kind of throwing everybody in the same boat, wherever you are, whoever you are, we all are our servants to our master Jesus, every single one of us, all sharing in the same inheritance. And in light of that, the whole world is a temple to the living God. Nothing is off limits. Every moment, every facet of our lives is a stage for the display of God's glory in Jesus Christ. Everything and every word can be done unto him. We are people called to take what we learn and experience when we're together to the ends of the earth. I know some of us come to things like this or go to Bible studies or whatever, and we come to this to be safe from the world. God is intending that you become strong and that you go out into the world. Not that you retreat from it. Not that you hide from it. Not that you're protected from it. In Christ Jesus, this is a perfectly safe world for you to follow him. He's intending that you are built up and sent out and that everything you say or do can be done unto him. For those of us in this room, it's our dorm rooms and our classes. It's our dating relationships and our part-time jobs. God is not waiting for your circumstances to change. He may change them or he may want you to change them, but the resources of his kingdom are available to you right now. Christian, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, have mercy. And would you pour out the resources of your kingdom upon us now, inviting us, each one of us in this room, inviting us to um, consider an area or facet of our lives where we might not have believed that we could do things unto you. There is no compartmentalization in your kingdom. This whole thing is a temple to you. Our lives are to be living sacrifices to you. Everything we do or say can be done unto you. And would you invite us, each one of us, into peculiar ways that we can begin to practice living that way, Father, you're more aware than we are of the things that need to change in this world. And we ask for you to change those things. But help us to know and help us to believe that we can participate in your kingdom work right in this moment, tonight. Even as we sing songs in response to you, even as we watch a baseball game or play board games and, or whatever we do on our way back to the places where we're gonna sleep tonight and hang out with other people. I'm asking, Lord, for a, for a new generation to rise up where Christians have integrity and it starts in this group. Will we begin to look like you regardless of who's around because we do everything unto you? Would you pour out the resources of your kingdom that it may be so? Would you remind us of who we are in you tonight even as we sing and close out our night together in worship to you? I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters. Lord, give us hope and forgive us for the ways... Um, that we abuse your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen.